Good morning, my name's Dave Miller, and I'm not on staff at Faith Fellowship. Um, I have a day job, as they say. So work and jobs, what's work for? Is it, is it for the pat on the back? You know what, isn't that usually the first thing that people ask about you when you meet them? So what do you do? So what do you do? I've had all kinds of jobs in my life. I, I mean, I think my first job was mowing lawns for a landscaping company. I think I worked at a car wash, a hardware store, you know, all kinds of jobs. Some were meaningful and, you know, most of them weren't. So, but it does seem like no matter what you do today, most people are not happy in their work. You know, Gallup recently took a poll and 30 percent of employees, only 30 percent feel like they're engaged in their job and they're inspired at work, but 52 percent, a full majority, have a permanent case of the Mondays. Oh, they show up, but not really particularly excited about what they do. 18 percent, 18 percent are disengaged, not happy at all, roam the halls spreading discontent. How in the world did that happen? How did we get there? Well, today I want to talk about hunger. I want to talk about hunger for job satisfaction, finding meaning in our work. And like I said, it's hard to do because lots of people don't like what they do at all. You know, you see those license plate frames, see those all the time. I'd rather be hunting. I'd rather be fishing. I'd rather be cycling watching cartoons, whatever. But in today's economy, there's so many people that are in jobs they actually hate, you know? Some are even so desperate that they're, they're like trying to make a living for the family, like working at McDonald's. And we see things like, you know, folks from McDonald's walking out and staging a walkout to try to get better wages. So there's, there's lots of reasons that people don't like their job. And how did we get there? Huh. Where's the meaning in that? Confucius said this, find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Wrong religion, that's baloney. I'm not kidding. It's just, it's just not true. See, I, I talked to a friend of mine, Adam Snyder, some of you might know him, because he's a guy, you, you know, he's goes to church here. He's a guy that I've never met anybody that likes his job as much as he does. He's a pediatric dentist. And, you know, we're friends on Facebook and all that, all that kind of stuff. I see his post. He seems really happy. And I asked him, I said, you know, you like your job more than anybody I ever met. Is it true? Like, you never really work a day in your life? And he said, you know, Dave, you know, I love working with the kids. But to be honest, there's some parts of it that I don't like. You know, the business end of it, that sort of thing. So it's just not true, you know, that you'll never work a day in your life. You know, some Christians think that we don't like our jobs because of the curse. You know, Adam fell and he has to farm and, and only produce thorns and thistles and things like that. Well, that's not true either because Adam was a farmer, a gardener, before the curse. It was, it was one of his things. And besides, Jesus broke the curse. Hello? So work is called work because it's not play. You know, even the rock, the, you know, the Ramones, their guitar player, Johnny Ramone, said, you know, being a rock star, being a rock guitar player, 
That's a lot of fun, but in the end, it's still just a job. So it's work. So where does our job satisfaction come from? What, what is it that gives our work meaning? In 2010, a study said that people who found no meaning in their work, well, they were unmotivated, unsatisfied, and they were really stressed out at work all the time. Solomon put it this way. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Is it really all meaningless? Well, today, I, let's look at what God says about finding meaning in your work. And I want to look at five things for us to look at, five of them. And ways that you can find meaning in your work. And the first one is pretty obvious. It's work for God. And I'm not saying go into full-time ministry. <laughs> Personally, I couldn't. You know, I, I have relationship with pastors, and I know what they have to go through, and my skin is not thick enough. I could not go into full-time ministry. So what I'm talking about here is work to please God, to honor God. That's what I'm talking about. Like, like he's your boss. And, you know, in truth, he really is. You know? And what does that mean? Like, working for God, God is your boss? How do we work for God? Well, the, the first thing is, you know, do your best. Let's take a look at Ephesians 6. Don't just do what you have to do to get by, but work heartily as Christ's servants doing what God wants you to do. And work with a smile on your face, always keeping in mind that no matter who happens to be giving the orders, you're really serving God. Hmm. So put your heart into your work. Honor God with your work. There's more to it if you're going to work for God. Yeah, do your best, but do your best with integrity. The Forum Company studied 300 salesmen from 11 different companies. And half of them were exceptional salesmen. They were tops. The other half were just, eh, they were average. They were all right, but they were really just average. And they want to compare them to find out what separates the really great ones from the just kind of okay ones. And the conclusion? There's no difference in skill, ability, intellect, technical knowledge about the product that they're selling. There's none of that between the top and the average salespeople. What was the difference? The top people had a reputation for integrity. The customers trusted them, so they made more sales. Here's how God puts it. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. Hmm. Interesting. One more thing when you're working for God. Yes, there's do your best with integrity always. That is, don't give up. Keep at it. Keep pushing. Ecclesiastes 11 says this. Keep on sowing your seed, for you never know which will grow. Perhaps it will. Hmm. One of the seeds is going to grow, so keep on sowing. Don't give up too soon. There's power in that persistence. If at first you don't succeed... I say, welcome to the human race. <laughs> you know, oil companies, the guys who make all the money these days, they're successful in their oil wells one out of ten times. 
10% of the time. Television actors, do you realize they get, on an average now, 29 rejections before they get selected for a part or a commercial or anything? Huh. Winston Churchill said this, never give in. Never give in. Never, 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 never. In nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never give up. Never give in. Work like you're working for God because you are. You're a testimony to God. That leads me to the second way we honor God, and that's who not to work for, okay? Number two is don't work for stuff. Okay, so who is this stuff guy, and why shouldn't we work for him? Well, stuff is a pretty subtle monster. Oh, he's not much of a problem unless you work for him, okay? When you work only for stuff, he can be an obsession, or even a god in your life. And he's a carrier of a disease, a disease called envy. Damon talked about this a little bit a couple of weeks ago. Seeing what others have and comparing it to your stuff, hmm. we say, ooh, I want that. There's even that song by Queen that's in the commercials now, I want it all, I want it all, and I want it now. Envy. Those advertisers know what they're doing. They're using that monster stuff to get at you. So, the envy, it perverts the purpose of work. See, it's no longer to honor God, but it's to get more stuff. So we need to guard our eyes and protect them from comparing our stuff to somebody else's stuff, or their monster gets unleashed. Even in my own life, you know, I used to play guitar quite a bit. And, you know, I used to occasionally play with the band. And I had to guard myself because, you see, guitar players get a thing called gas. And it's horrible. Guitar acquisition syndrome. Oh, Lord. You're up there playing guitar and somebody else has a guitar that just sounds so good. Oh, and you want another guitar. You have to guard yourself. You ask the guys in the band. They get gas real bad. So we we have to guard ourselves and not compare our possessions to those of others. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 5. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. It's pretty harsh words. And you know what? We all have our acquisition syndromes. What is it? Is it cars? Clothes? Toys? What is it? You see, the problem with envy, it's not a desire for excellence. You know, it's not even a matter of enjoyment a lot of times. It's about beating the neighbors. Being, having more than they do, or at least the same kind of stuff, no matter what the cost. You know, the driver is usually in security. The costs are pretty high. Enormous. Workaholism, illness, broken relationships, unhappiness, loneliness. But hey, you'll have a lot of stuff. 
U.S. News and World Report, said for Americans whose incomes are under $25,000, in order for them to have the American dream, they believe that they need to make about $54,000 a year. Maybe some of you can relate to that, but for people that make $100,000, they believe that in order for them to have the American dream, they've got to have almost $200,000. In other words, for most Americans, the American dream is twice what you have now, no matter what. So, if you compare your stuff and your financial status with others, sooner or later, envy is going to rob you of your happiness. You'll always want more than you have. You'll never be content. So me, I do a motive check. And I'm doing that right now because I'm in the market for a car, used one. Looking for one right now, and I, you can ask my wife about this. I see this shiny one that looks great. It's like, look at this, this is great. And I can picture myself driving it and all that. But I have to ask myself, why do I want that car? Am I, am I trying to impress other people? Why do I think it will satisfy me, you know? If I'm not happy with what I have now, how is this something else going to make me happy? How will that possibly be satisfying? <laughs> Your life is too important to waste on just acquiring more and better stuff. Ecclesiastes 5 says this, We leave this world just as we enter it, with nothing. In spite of all our work, there's nothing we can take with us. Everything I acquire, I'm going to leave behind. All of it. If you tell yourself you're doing it for your kids, ask them, would they rather have your time or your stuff? Let me tell you, they would rather have you than the stuff that you're going to leave to them. Of course they would. There's no meaning in stuff. It leaves you empty. See, if you can stay away from working for stuff, it's a lot easier to do the third thing that brings meaning to your work. And that's keeping your balance. In other words, very easy. Don't work too much. There are other things that are more important. Well, I know that there are a lot of people that have to work hard, work two jobs, whatever, just to put food on the table, and I get that. But I also know a lot of job junkies. You probably do too. They can't quit. They can't stop working. Maybe they're afraid. But I'll tell you one thing, they're never without their cell phone. They work late. They go to bed exhausted. I don't know. Maybe they're hoping their fears and, and their problems won't cave in on them if they just keep working at it and working at it. You know, and it even doesn't stop during vacations with the cell phone, and they come back exhausted. Ecclesiastes 10 says this. This is a little harsh. Only someone too stupid to find his way home would wear himself out with work. Hello, I need that in my own life. Well, the meaning of work, it's not just all about the work itself. Yes, some people have to work hard, but there is a time for work and there is a time for play. God says you need them both. In Exodus, it says this, you have six days in which to do your work, 
but the seventh day is a day of rest dedicated to me. That's pretty straightforward. Every seventh day, you take a day off. And probably I need to be reminded of this, but maybe we all do too. That's not a suggestion. It's a commandment. God thought that, this, that rest was so important that he made it one of the Ten Commandments, one of the big ten. Every seventh day, you take a day off. So if you're not taking a day off, well, you're breaking one of the Ten Commandments. There's a word for that. It's called sin. See, you weren't made to be constantly working. Remember this, your best requires rest. Parents, do your kids like going to bed? <laughs> no, they don't. As a dad myself, I remember when Liz was younger, she'd argue and complain and stall and didn't want to go to bed. See, the, the point is, resistance to rest is kind of a sign of immaturity. You know, if we don't take the time for rest, your body will do it for you. It'll just shut down. Has sickness or exhaustion ever made you rest because you wouldn't? You need to limit your labor. So you need to schedule three things in your life. Rest, recreation, and relationships. These are part of God's plan for the, your life. You know? If you don't schedule these things, you won't have time for them. If you're married, there's a fourth one. It's called romance. The four R's. Schedule that too, or that one won't have any time in your life either. So, you weren't made to work nonstop, right? So we've covered three ways of finding meaning in your work. Work for God, don't work for stuff, and keep your balance. And the fourth way is to trust God. Now, I know that may come sounding off like some shallow platitude, whatever, you know, don't worry, be happy. No, that's not what I'm saying. God put it this way in Matthew. Don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. God knows these things. That's, the pro that's a promise right there. God knows you need these things, and he'll take care of you. And he says pagans run after these things. The rat race, the frantic drive for security always. Well, I've learned something about security because I've had security and I've had insecurity, I guess I would call it. And the one thing that I've learned is no matter how big your bank account, there's, there can always be a catastrophe that's bigger and can take it all. You have to put your security in something that can't be taken from you. That's God's care. And we need to trust in it. That's something that can't be taken from you. Relax. Relax and quit playing God. Matthew 11 says this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I've heard messages about this, this particular scripture before, and, you know, you've probably heard that, you know, the yoke is that, uh, wooden board that goes on the shoulders of two oxen so that they can 
pull a really heavy load together and it rests on their shoulders. It is that, but there's more to it than that. You see, each master rabbi, they had their own interpretation of how to obey the Torah, and that interpretation was called his yoke. And it was basically, you know, a set of rules and lists. Like the Bible says, that, you know, if the Old Testament said this, this is what it meant. Lots of rules, lots of lists. So when Jesus said his yoke is easy, he was speaking of the physical burdens, but he was also speaking of the, of the, the works that the Pharisees were putting on the backs of the people. So much so that even the day of rest became a burden. <laughs> Jesus actually rebuked the Pharisees in Matthew 24 for putting heavy loads on the shoulders of the people. See, Jesus came to give you a, a, a yoke that is easy, a burden that is light. And if you're carrying heavy loads that are overbearing, they're probably not from God. We're not supposed to wring our hands with worry. God says, my yoke is easy. My plan for your life is light. See, God wants us to loosen up a bit. He says, I will give you your rest. I will give it to you. And when you finally get to a place where you can, where you can trust God, you can rest and be thankful. Ephesians 5 says this, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, always give thanks for everything to God the Father. <laughs> when I read that scripture, I think, what I'm supposed to get, give thanks for all the really crummy, bad stuff that happens in my life? Well, no. You know, you're supposed to thank God for the blessings in your life in the midst of all that. You know? Some of you know that not long ago, I was working in Kansas City for uh, a couple of years and commuting home on weekends. And I have to tell you, that was really tough. Really tough to find some meaning in that. But, you know, like we said, we, sometimes we just got to do what we got to do, and I get that. Some of you know Terry Wells, one of, our, one of our members here, and he faced the same thing, and he and I had a bunch of conversations about that. And uh, he's a good friend. We talked about going through that and trying to figure out what God was doing through all that. And I've asked Terry to come out and join me, tell this story. Would you help me welcome him? Good to see, buddy. <laughs> well, your work has been sending you around the country lately. It has. Where have um, where you been the last few times? Um, I started out in Atlanta almost three years ago. Um, I've been in New Jersey. Uh, I've been in uh, Quad Cities, uh, Des Moines, Iowa. Now I'm north of Des Moines, Iowa, about an hour. Um, I understand we're on our way to Minnesota. I've been around. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Terry's, a, Terry's the carpenter, the, uh, carpenter, the best carpenter I know. So he's, carpenter, has a beard. He's a lot like Jesus, I'm telling you. So. <laughs> he didn't know I was going to tell that joke. It's tough being away from family, isn't it? It is. That was, um, it took a lot of prayer and trust. Um, your first topic was trust, or this last topic was trust God. Yeah. And when, when I first got a call for this, Julie and I, um, 
it, it, it took a lot of prayer to, to figure out um, how we were going to do it, and, and it had to be complete trust um, that, made, that helped us make that decision. Well, how did you, how'd you deal with that? I mean, you know, I, it, I know it was tough for me. How did, you, how did you keep your focus and not get bitter at all? You know, when I first when I first went to work, I and set up. Um, I, I'm a superintendent on on these job projects, and my one of my email. Um, I I discovered early on that you don't have to. Um, I listen to sermons every morning on the way to church on the way to work, and one of the things that I heard recently that that sticks with me is. Preach the gospel always. Use words when necessary. And that was probably one of the most profound things that I've had and one of the most effective because you don't have to be in your face um, and you really don't know how many people you impact and how many people see in you when you're, a, when you're subtle even. And, and that's how I try. I, I have a signature that I put on all my emails that says, be blessed. And early on, um, I hadn't done that twice. And I got a message from one of the other superintendents that said, you may want to think twice about putting that on your emails. You may offend somebody. Yeah, there's people that don't want to be blessed, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. So I just told him, you know what, if... if if they're offended and they want to come to me about being offended, we'll talk about it. But that's, that's one of the things that helped me stay focused is, is just little subtle things like that that keep it in, in my face. Wow. You were, we were talking earlier, and, and, and you, were said, you said that uh, the uh, Faith Fellowship website and the webcasts help a little. It's huge. Um, I think... Tom Pullen is, is just awesome at, at what he does and, and the tech here. And I, I really believe that they don't have a clue how far they reach out and how many people they touch and how they touch um, and how important it is to particularly me. Um, and I have to believe any, anybody that's in, in my spot because when I start struggling, um, the first place I go to is my knees. The second place I go to is my mom. And the third place I go to is the website. And I have, I, I am just, and have been so blessed with, with a, a, a Christian family and a strong foundation that I've tried and I truly believe that I've laid for my kids. And Faith Fellowship, I just have a prayer support team here that's just unheard of. And I know that when I, when I have a struggle, I, I know that I don't, I don't have to worry. And when I first left, I went to Damon and I said, first thing I need to know is, this is where I'm going. Can you find me a, can you find me a church? And this was a God thing to me. 
it, it was right then he said, no, I know one. It's, it's 30 miles from where you're going to be. And it was Andy Stanley's church. Oh, wow. And Damon had gone to, gone to uh, Bible uh, school with him. And it's just, that's just the kind of thing. I know, that, I know that there's answers here. And I know that they're, that they're from God. And that's, that just keeps me, keeps me focused. Let me tell you something about Terry. He, he, uh, he knows that uh, Mona and I used to live in Kansas City for a while, and uh, he had a project in Kansas City. It was only going to be a couple of weeks, and he came to me. He says, do you know somebody that could use the money? Because I have a per diem to stay in a hotel or whatever, but if, somebody's, if somebody could use the cash, all I need is a bed. That's it. And this is the type of guy Terry is, and... You know, I just love them. So let's let's show them that y'all do too. I would have had him come out earlier. Then there would be no reason for me to say anything. So I waited towards the latter end of the sermon. (laughs) So I want to make one more point before we wrap up. And it might be the most important one, and that's number five. Have some fun. Most of us never slow down long enough to enjoy what we have. Or maybe you buy into the myth that, you know, in order to be holy and godlike, we have to be very solemn and sad. And Jesus was a man of sorrows, and so we should be too. Well, let me ask you something. Do you enjoy watching your children play, or do you just enjoy watching children play? Well, God does too. There's a time to weep, but there's also a time to laugh. Ecclesiastes 3 says this, All of us should eat and drink and enjoy what we've worked for. It's a gift from God. See, what Solomon is saying here is, stop and smell the roses. Enjoy life's simple pleasures. I see it in my own life and friends of mine, even here at Faith Fellowship. You know, we have no problem spending money on improving our homes or fixing our car up better. But when it, when it comes to maintaining ourselves, you know, renewing, refreshing, all of a sudden we become tightwads. <laughs> one of these days, you know how it goes, I've said this myself, one of these days I'm really going to start enjoying life. Boy, when I retire, it's going to be awesome. No, it won't. If we, enjoy, if we don't enjoy life now... We're not even going to know how to have a good time when, we're, when we retire, you know? Solomon is saying, learn to enjoy life. Enjoy life now. You know what? You have no guarantee for tomorrow. You don't. Now, I'm not saying go blow money you don't have on having fun, but that's part of what, that's what gives work meaning. Go on a vacation. Mona and I, every year we go to Lake of the Ozarks. And we have a small group that we used to attend in Kansas City. And those people are we're still very close. Once a year, around the 4th of July, we go out to Lake of the Ozarks. And there's jet skiing at, at a friend's lake house. And, and we all get together and play board games and cards and sleep till noon and Boy, by the end of the week, we are just so refreshed and renewed. You know, I'm on jet skis with my daughter, and some of you know when you have teens, there's not a whole lot you can do with a teen and have fun, but that's one of them. And so at the, it, it's just a great, you know, our, 
we reconnect as a family, we reconnect with friends. And I have to tell you, it's worth every single penny. We're creating memories for a lifetime. That's one of the things that gives work its meaning. Unbelievable. See, so don't feel guilty about spending money on that kind of stuff if you have it. Have some fun. It really is okay with God. You know, don't feel guilty about it. Have a party. Go out with friends. See a movie. You know, enjoy what you work for. One last scripture I want to leave you with. This is Solomon. Here is what I have found out. He's been complaining, saying everything is meaningless. Here is what I have found out. The best thing we can do is eat and drink and enjoy what we have worked for during the short life that God has given us. This is our fate. You know, this is from God. It's a gift from him. We should be grateful. We should enjoy. It's a gift from God. These are the things that give our work meaning. Work for God, not stuff. You know, always do your best like you're working for God because you are. Honor God with your work. Let it be your testimony. Keep your balance in life. Remember, work, play. Keep your balance and trust God to honor that choice. And spend money on the things that give you and others joy. In a moment, we're going to have communion. And communion is a time to remember God and give him thanks. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this message that you gave me to share. And Father, I think there's so many people that need to hear it. Lord, to restore joy and happiness and meaning in our work. To work for you and to honor you with our effort and our work. And not to work for stuff, but to work for you, to keep our balance, Lord, with work and everything else. And Father, I ask that you help us to trust you. To trust you to provide for us. And take our worries from us. And Lord, help us to prioritize ourselves. And we could remember to spend some money on our relationships, Father. Rest, relaxation, relationships. Father, we give you thanks for these things. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand and sing with us. Have some fun.